morning everybody. Good to see everybody this morning. Glad to see you. Thank you for watching online if you're watching or on our website later on as it's archived. Um, anyway, uh, just a couple of announcements this morning. Uh, just a reminder that we do have our uh, Elios, our Bible, uh, Elios Discipleship Program, our Bible classes uh, online. They're on our website. You just can either go to our Bible classes page. Our website is Lighthouse Discipleship dot org, excuse me, uh, lighthousediscipleship.org, and uh, you just go to the Bible classes page and you will find uh, our, our Bible classes and the directions on how to, how to uh, register for that and get going. It's free, it's not, uh, but it's, uh, um, uh, anyway, it's just very powerful, uh, the classes, we're getting good responses already. Anyway, uh, more information on that, if you have questions or whatnot, feel free to reach out to us by phone on our email, and we will gladly uh, answer those for you. Also, I just want to bring your attention, we're getting into the Christmas season, uh, the holiday season, um, uh, here. On, uh, let me just mention, the Saturday after Thanksgiving, that weekend, uh, Saturday night at 6 o'clock, we're going to be, Karis Bible College has uh, uh, produced uh, at least four that I know of, uh, musical productions. Uh, two of those that I know of are on DVD. We have two of those. We eventually want to get all of them. Uh, but uh, they have a Christmas one, and we want to show that. Uh, we'll be showing that um, again the Saturday after Thanksgiving, and that is the 30th, November 30th at 6 p.m. right here. Uh, we're going to be showing that uh, uh, to, by uh, DVD, and we'll show it on the big screen. Uh, the, it's called The Heart of Christmas. I actually have a flyer in the back for you. So The Heart of Christmas uh, will be shown at 6 p.m. on Saturday, the 30th of November, right after Thanksgiving. And, uh, uh, they plan, if you're around, if you're local, feel free to join us. And uh, hopefully that will be very fruitful for us. And uh, it's a powerful, powerful uh, production. So anything Karis has put on has been just good. Top-notch stuff. That makes sense. So okay. With that, uh, uh, I don't think I'm going to do any other announcements this morning. We do have Bible our Bible study tonight at six o'clock. Uh, so feel free to join us on the better way to pray. <coughs> All right. Without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into our message this morning. We've been talking about being established in your Father's love. I think, if I'm not mistaken, this is part four or five. Four. Thank you. Uh, and then I think I'm going to have one more session next week and then we're going to get to some new territory. Um, so, <coughs> excuse me, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 1 John chapter 3, which has kind of been our, our main text uh, for the study. 1 John chapter 3, and we'll look at verse 1. John chapter 3, beginning verse 1, says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. Therefore the world does not know us, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are the, our children of God, and it has not been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as 
lot in that, and we've been talking about it over the last three weeks. But let me just say this. We are all in need of our type of progressive revelation of the love that God has for us. A key phrase there is a progressive revelation. Um, uh, we need to know and believe his love for us. Uh, our love can be, is being perfected towards, towards one another as we know and believe his love for us. But it's a, it's a progressive revelation. But this progressive revelation begins with a relationship with God. We've been, you know, that whole concept of a relationship with God has been coming up in all of our messages, all of our Bible studies, even the Bible classes that we have, the feedback I'm getting from people about a relationship with God. And we need to know and we need to believe His love. But it's a, see, it's a progressive revelation. It's not just a one-night stand. It's not just a one-time thing or a one-time experience or a one-time revelation. It's a progressive revelation, just like any other relationship. It's a progressive revelation. Uh, and so that's actually one of the joys of a relationship. You get to know more about each other and, uh, and what, they, <coughs> what they like, what they don't like. You know, and it just, it's a progressive revelation. And so, and as it progressively, as we get this progressive revelation knowledge of God and His love for us, our faith will begin to grow too, progressively. Okay? It's easy to believe and trust a God when you know He loves you. It's going to be hard to trust and believe a God if in your perception you don't know, you have not behold what manner of love the Father has on you. It's, going to, it's just going to be a challenge. Scroll down with me to, to chapter 4, verse 7, 1 John 4, 7. And I just want to reread some text here. And I'm going to spend a little more time on this section next week as we kind of conclude this uh, series. But it says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of, of God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. For he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Two key phrases I keep pointing out of this, and we're going to spend a little more time looking at some of the other parts of it next week. But love is of God, verse 7. And love, God is love. Love is of God. It's not, love is not of this world. Love is not of my emotions. Love is not of my circumstances or my, my natural person. Love is of God. And God is love. Jump down to verse 10, it says, And this is love, and, and this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. God is love. See, God was the initiator of love, not us. And, and it's, it's based on, love is based on His nature. It's based on His person. It's based on His being. It's not based on us. It, love is not of us. Love is of God, and God is love. His love towards us is unconditional. It's unmerited. It's not based on my performance. It's not based on my holiness. It's not based on my actions. God loves you first, even in your worst condition. And now, because you love Him, you know His love, our love can be perfected in loving one another. Scroll down one more time to verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. And I want to toggle real quick here to the, to, to, to the King James. 
and we have known and believed the love that God has to us. God is love, and he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. <clears throat> For herein is our love made perfect, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. Again, there's a lot in this context, but we've been zeroing in on, and we have known and believed the love of God, the beginning of verse 6, and herein is our love made perfect. When we know and believe his love for us, our love is made perfect. Because love is of God, and God is love, and because the more that we know and believe his love for us, our love will be, be made perfect. We will teach it over and over and over again in this church, in this ministry, through our Bible studies, through our Bible, everything we do. And as we grow, we have children's ministries and different things, we will teach it over and over again that God is of love. God, love is of God, and God is love. Love is a person. Amen? My feelings can be manipulated. See, it's not, love is not my feelings. It's not my emotions. Why? Because my feelings can be manipulated. They can be influenced. They can be affected. They can be harmonized to, with God and with my fellow man. My feelings and my emotions can be can have a have a misrepresentation of reality. Sometimes our feelings and emotions, we think we know reality, but that's not reality. God is love. God is reality. Who we are in Christ is reality. Feelings are, but feelings are real in a sense, in one sense, but they're fickle. They're, they're, they can fluctuate. Um, but my feelings and my emotions are not the source of See, love is not a virus. That's something you catch. It's on and off. No, love is of God. Love of God is love. In other words, God is consistent. Love is consistent. We can't we can count on God's love for us. It's consistent. We can know and we can believe his love for us. And when we know and believe his love for us, our love can be perfected. Versus us living our lives based on our feelings and our emotions. We can live by the love of God. The nature of God. See, emotions are, in one sense, the spice of life. But emotions are not the essence of life. Our emotions can, they can manip be manipulated by our circumstances. The lust of the flesh, our perception. God is love. Love is God. And when we know and believe His love for us, there's a consistency, there's a steadfastness of His love. And as our love is perfected, there can be a consistency and a steadfastness of our love towards others. That makes sense? Make sense? See, we can. When we know and believe His love, we can implement that love towards our spouse, towards our kids, towards our friends and family, towards the church, towards the world that we're supposed to reach, and even to our enemies. By this will the world know that you're my disciples, by your love for one another. Is that making sense? Last week we, we talked about, we were, we're, I'm trying to address, because if we know and believe His love for us, our love can be perfected. 
how do we know his love? And I dealt with three issues last week, and I want to uh, still wrap up the, the third one, but we talked about three issues of how we do not know God's love. Before we dealt with uh, how do we know God's love, I wanted to deal with uh, three issues of how we do not know God's love. I'm not going to rehash the first two today. You can re-listen to last week's message from our website. But it's a... Uh, the first one is, uh, uh, one way we do not know God's love is by our senses, and we do not know God's love by our circumstances, okay? Um, we, uh, we don't, I mean, we've been dealing with that already this morning, we don't know God by how we feel, by our emotions, and we definitely don't know Him by our circumstances. The third one we, we began dealing with last week, but I want to uh, uh, continue with that and even rehash some things. But because I want, this is going to be key to something I want to bring out later on as we include this message uh, uh, later on today and next week. But we don't know God's love by the law. So many Christians are trying to relate to God on the basis of the law, and that's not good. That's not healthy. Now, the law is holy. The law is good. God gave the law for a purpose, and we're going to deal with some of that again this morning. But when we relate to, try to relate to God based on the basic law, it will produce death and confusion in our minds and our lives. Um, you cannot know and believe God's love for you on the basis of the law. Okay? It will frustrate your relationship with God. It will frustrate it. It will frustrate that grace. See, religion hates us, what I'm saying. Religion loves the law, embraces the law. Um, so religion will, when they will try to teach you to know God, they will teach you to know God by the law, and that's dangerous, that's wrong. Okay, the law is good. But the law, and go with me real quick to Romans 3.19. Let's get some scriptural basis for this, not just Dave's opinion. And I want to go back to the New King James. Now we know that whatever the law said, it said to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God. Therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of what? Sin. <coughs> you don't know God by the law, you know what by the law? Sin. Not, love, not the law is the knowledge of sin. It's not the knowledge of God. Okay? God gave the law, verse 19, going back to verse 19, to show us that we were wrong. To stop our mouths. To make us guilty before God. To reveal our sin. God gave that. <coughs> and that is important. We need to know that we need a Savior. And we are not it. We cannot save ourselves. If we can save ourselves by the law, then we don't need Jesus. That make sense? I want to say that again. If we can save ourselves by keeping the law, we don't need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need a Savior. But the law also exposes our sin to tell us we're wrong because if we think you're if if we're wrong, thinking we're right, then we will stay wrong and go to hell. If we're wrong, we need to know we're wrong. Okay? There's a purpose of the law to reveal our sin, to reveal that we, we are not saved without Christ, without a Redeemer, without a Messiah. We are not, 
God gave the law to reveal our sin because sin is not good. The wages of sin is death. But I mentioned this last week in, in closing last week, but if the law was God's plan to reveal God, as religion teaches, why didn't God give the law to Adam and Eve? Why didn't God give the law to Enoch, who walked with God? Why didn't God give the law to Noah? Why didn't God give the law to Abraham, or Isaac, or Jacob, or the patriarchs, or a father in the faith, in a sense? If the law was the knowledge of God, why did he wait almost 1,800 years between the fall of Adam and the giving of the law? Why did he wait almost 1,800 years, almost 2,000 years, before giving the law? If the law was the knowledge of God, why wait? Yet, we see that Adam and Eve knew God, but they didn't have the law. We see that Noah had a revelation of God, but he didn't have the law. We see that Abraham was declared righteous by his faith, but he didn't have the law. The Pharisees believed that God gave the law to reveal God's nature and his person. Go with me to Romans 4. I can't remember if I went here last week, but we're going to go here this morning. Romans 4. We'll pick it up in verse 13. It says, For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of no effect. Verse 15. Because the law brings about what? Wrath. That's key. We're going to spend some time on that. Because the law brings about what? Wrath. For there is no law, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. Ignore my highlights on, 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 the, on, the, on the screen. I'm not focused on that right now. I read some of that just to bring some context to what I want to bring to you. But the law brings about wrath. The law reveals sin, and the law also brings wrath. Okay? That's cute. And we're going to be focusing a little bit on that. What does this have to do with the love of God? The love of the Father? We're going to tie this all in. See, Adam brought sin into the world. But the law brings wrath on sin. If the law brings wrath on the sin that Adam initiated, why did God wait 1,800 years to bring that wrath on that sin? Why did he wait so long? Deuteronomy 28 talks about, we don't have to turn there, but the law brought curses. The law did not, God did not want to curse man. God loved man. God knew that when the law came to reveal sin, his wrath came along with it. The law would reveal sin, but with that law came wrath. God did not want to manifest his wrath for over a thousand years, almost 1,800 years. God did not want to manifest his wrath. While man was in sin, man did not know he was in sin. Because the law revealed sin. Man was living and partaking in sin, and man thought he was right with God based on, based on the color of his skin, his heritage, his, his, his race, his money. 
We see that in the Old Testament. If you, if you read between the lines of some of the stories, and even today, a lot of people think, a lot of Jews, and, and what they think they're, they're right with God based on their nationality. And that's not true. Okay? Paul deals with that in Romans, I believe, chapter 8, 9, in that context. And, and other passages in the book of Hebrews deals with that. I don't want to start here. I, I, I lost it. Uh, you know, there's other scriptures I could have brought these out this morning, but where there was no, God did not impute sin where there was no law. God, uh, God did not impute, God not, did not charge sin to their account because there was no law to impute their sin. Without the law, we just read about it. There, actually, verse 15, for where there is no law, there is no transgression. You can't have a transgression when there is no law. You can't break a rule, a law, if there was no law to begin with. That makes sense. If you're not told it's wrong, you can't do what's wrong. But the law did come to reveal sin, reveal what was wrong with us. See, sin in and of itself was destroying the human race, even without the wrath. Look at Noah. Noah was the only righteous man on the earth. It was God's mercy for the flood to preserve mankind. So if mankind died and there was no righteous people, there would be no seed, there would be no heritage for the Messiah to come to redeem all mankind. We would all go to hell if God didn't bring the flood. Sodom and Gomorrah. We look at that and see God's wrath. And God's judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. But Lot was the only righteous man in that community. In that area. Sin, <clears throat> the law had, in both of these instances, Noah and Sodom and Gomorrah, the law hadn't come yet to reveal their sin. But sin was destroying mankind. The human race was being destroyed. But, and, and God, I don't have time to go into all this right now, but... God judged that sin so he could preserve the human race. If he didn't preserve the human race, there would be no race left for the Messiah to come to redeem mankind, all mankind, from sin. We need a Savior. We're not it. But if the human race is gone, there would be no seed, there would be no Mary, there would be no prophecy, there would be no way for the Messiah to come to redeem you and me, including all mankind, from Adam to, to, to the end of time, Jesus came to redeem us all. But if mankind was totally corrupt, there would be no Messiah. There would be no seed. There would be no hope. <clears throat> you understand that? I don't have time to teach all that right now. Uh, but sin was killing the human race. And God gave the law to preserve the human race for the redemption. But with it came his wrath. When he brought the law to reveal sin, with it came his wrath. And God gave his law to reveal sin, not God. Romans 7, 7, you don't have to turn there, but Paul says, I wouldn't even have known sin without the law. But sin... You know, we teach grace, we teach righteousness, and we don't teach a lot about sin. But sin will hinder your relationship with God. 
don't be deceived. God is not mocked. And man will reap what he sows. See, the law was given to make sin. You go with me real quickly here to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. <clears throat> and we'll pick it up in verse 56. says this, the steam of death is sin. And the strength of sin is what? The law. <clears throat> but thanks be to God who gives us a victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The strength the sin is the law. The law reveals sin and the law makes us guilty before God. Without the law, sin would be hid in our heart and you would have a life of sin Sin, I mean the law about the knowledge of sin. It strengthened sin. But it also brought God around. See, the law reveals you are a sinner. And you are without hope in and of yourself. It's not the blood of Abraham that makes you right with God. It's your faith in your heart towards Jesus that you're able to receive his grace that makes you right with is he who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Go with me real quick here in Romans chapter 3. Just wanna, I'm just trying to finish establishing this point here and then I'm going to switch gears here for a little bit. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Most of us, have, we talked about this last night in a Bible study. Some people, that's all they hear. But they need to finish the sentence because my Bible hands with a comma in verse 23. It says, being justified freely by his grace, verse 24, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Yes, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but being justified, being declared righteous freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Yes, we have all sinned. Yes, we all fall short of his glory. The law reveals that. But we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. This is love. Not that we love him, but that he loved us and became the propitiation for our sins. This is love. Yes, we have all fall short of the glory of God because of sin, but this is love. That he justified us, declared us righteous by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Behold what manner the love the Father hath bestowed on you, that you should be called the children of God. How are you called the children of God? Because of his love. He's redeemed you. He redeemed you from the curse of sin. He redeemed you from the wrath of sin. He redeemed you from sin. He gave you the law to reveal that you need a Savior. And then he sent the Savior to redeem you. You're no longer under the law. And the sin shall not have dominion of you. For you're under grace and not under the law. Let me read that. I'm chopping that verse up. Romans 6.14. Romans 
For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you're not under under law, but under grace. Yes, law reveals your sin. Yes, law brings wrath. Yes, law strengthens sin. But you're not under the law. You're under grace. And because you're under the grace, the propitiation of your sins, the redemption, this is love. Sin does not have dominion over you anymore. You needed the law to expose the problem, but you needed Jesus to redeem you from the problem. Does that make sense? See, we have not been taught, or we have not learned, that the love of God. We have not been taught the cross. We have not been taught the atonement. We have not been taught what Jesus is all about. And because many think that the law is the knowledge of God, many have gravitated under the law, not, re not realizing that it's bondage to the law. They have subjected themselves to the law and the strength of sin, causing them to miss out in knowing and understanding and believing His love so they could be perfected. The great love that God has for us. And because, because of the law, many have become performance-oriented. They become legalistic. They have become dogmatic. And some, I don't know if you've been around religious people, but religious people are mean. I'm not trying to put anyone down. I'm not trying to attack anybody. But I've seen what religion can do and how religion has destroyed people. It's evil. It's wrong. I'm not trying to be so blunt, but I am. <laughs> I don't know if I'm making sense with that. I'm not trying to attack people. I'm trying to magnify Jesus. I want us to behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed for us, for us. That we should be called the children of God. That we might see Him as He is. God is love. <coughs> and we can't love one another until we know his love for ourselves until we dwelling in God for ourselves I want us to understand the love that God has for us and even though I say that corporately I want to understand God's love for me and we need to each take that personal stance I want to understand God's love for me so that I can be a loving person and reflect his love in this earth. So that I can make disciples of all nations. Religious people who are under the law are just so mean. I don't want to be mean. I'm not trying to be mean this morning. They think God gave the law to reveal God. That they see God that way. They see God as a hard taskmaster. They see God as legalistic and religious. And they become that way. See, the law brings wrath. And so they have become wrathful. That makes sense? Now, they think the law as curses. And so they have cursed. 
we're back with me verses real quick here in the first John three two. The last part of the verse I want to zero in on again. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. That's supposed to be a positive thing. But if how we see him is wrong, we will be like whoever we see. And we see God as a wrathful God. If we've seen God as a cursing God, then that's how we will become. And that's how we will portray God. And it's wrong. If, it, if that perception is wrong, if that revelation is wrong. That makes sense. We need to know who God is, because love is our God. That's why he goes on to say in uh, chapter seven, four, chapter four, verse seven. I'm gonna go back here, and then we're gonna bang going on here till next week. But I just want to make a comment. That's why John says in four seven, "We love it. Let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. But he who does not love does not know God." If you are mean, and you're being wrathful and cursing and judging one another in the wrong way, then you don't know God, because God is love. God, God. we're going to spend some more time with this next week. I'm going to get too sidetracked with that. We're going to come back to this. I'm going to save all that uh, momentum for that. Okay, that making sense? You think people, but you think people are confused today. You should have been around when Jesus was chosen. Everything Jesus did, he threw right in the face of their religious thinking. Why? Why? Because Jesus came to reveal the Father. Moses came to reveal sin, the law. The law of Moses, the law came to reveal sin, but Jesus came to reveal the Father. If you want to know what love is like, or you want to know what God is like, you have to come to know Jesus. Religious, religion won't lead you to Jesus. Religion will lead you to the law of Moses. That makes sense? See, Jesus said this in John 5, 39, search the scriptures, for you think in them you have eternal life, but they, the scriptures, testify of me. Let's give, let me give you an example of this. You don't have to turn to it, but in John chapter 8, we have the issue of the woman caught in adultery. In it, um, those who were under the law, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, those who embraced the law, what was the response to the woman in front of Jesus? Stone her. That's what they said. Stone her! Moses said, the law says, stone her! We know what God is like. We know his nature. And God is like stoning. He will... He wants to deal with sin. That was their perception of what God was like. That was their perception of the nature and character of God. Stone her. She's committed adultery. But what was Jesus' response? Jesus said, let her go. He lets her go. But 
He's, we know the story. He says, those are without sin, cast the first stone, and they left from the, 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 the oldest to the youngest. Now, before he lets her go, though, he does say, go and sin no more. Jesus is not condoning sin. The nature of God is not to keep sinning. It's not a license to sin. But God, the nature of God, wants to forgive. The nature of God wants to show mercy. And those who do not show mercy don't know God. That makes sense? We're not condoning sin. Jesus didn't condone sin. Jesus told her, go and sin no more. But Jesus showed mercy, not condemnation. Jesus did not want to reveal wrath. Jesus did not want to curse. Jesus did not want to condemn. Jesus did not... If there was anyone who was right to stone her, it was Jesus. But he did not want to show wrath. He did not choose to stone her. He chose to show mercy. Jesus said, you've seen me and you've seen the Father. We're talking about being established in our Father's love. And if we, the law doesn't reveal our Father, Jesus reveals our Father. He said, Jesus will save you. I want you to hear that. God said, Jesus will save you. This is love, not that we love him, but he loved us and became our propitiation. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God did not send his son to the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Amen? Is that what the scripture says? See, today, we're not stoning people, necessarily. But today, many religious people want to stone the homosexuals or other sins. Again, I'm not going to condone any sin. I would say to anyone, go sin no more. But they don't need to be of their sins. They need the revelation of God's love. Amen? Amen? Because if you're, with any type of sin, if your first response is stone them, you don't know God. Moses is your God, in a sense. If I can put it that way. Go with me to Romans chapter 1. Verse 16. <clears throat> it says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation... For everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. There's a lot in here. I've taught this before. I'll teach on it again uh, soon, probably uh, uh, in January, somewhere in that nature, but I'm going to be teaching on this again. But uh, it says, Verse 17 says, for in it, 
The righteousness of God is real. And what? What's the it? The it is the gospel. The gospel reveals the righteousness of God. The law reveals our sin, but the, but the, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. See, religion believes righteousness is revealed by the law, but that's not true. Sin is revealed by the law, not righteousness. See, the, the, the law reveals what is wrong, but the gospel reveals what is right. That makes sense. Our job is to share the gospel. Our job is to preach the gospel. Our job is to reveal the righteousness of God. Our God job is to preach that he who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our job is to preach that God loves you. What's love? That he became, that he became our propitiation. Our job is not to reveal sin. Our job is to reveal Jesus. And if you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Amen? I'm not saying there's not a point for the law to know that it's sin. But once we've done that, we reveal Jesus. Jesus is the antidote. Jesus is our Savior. Yes, He's our Lord, and we'll deal with that. But He's our Savior. We need a Savior. We don't just need to know what's wrong. We need to know what's right. What's right with us? And everything is wrong with us without Jesus. But everything is right with us because of Jesus. That makes sense? See, in Colossians 1.19, you don't need to turn here. It says, in Him, Jesus, all the fullness of God shall dwell. Colossians 2.9 says, in him, Jesus, dwelt all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus said this in John 14, 7 to 9. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. What did Jesus do say? What does Jesus do? Because whatever he says, whatever he does, is what the Father says and does. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. He was... Chapter 3, verse, I mean, chapter 1, verse 3, that Jesus is the full expression of God. Jesus did not come to reveal what was wrong. Jesus came to reveal what was right. Galatians 3, 13 says that, that Jesus delivered us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Jesus set us free. He delivered us. That word delivered is the word against sozo, soteria, is salvation. He came to save us. See, we talk about, we always say, we're saved. What are we saved from? We're saved from sin. We're also saved from the wrath of God. Go with me to 1 Thessalonians 3, uh, chapter 1, verse 10. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Verse 10. Excuse me as I scroll down. I got in the wrong verse. I'm thinking mid thought here. It says, And to wait for his son, Jesus, from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath that is to come. 
in one sense, so the word God has already poured out his wrath on Jesus. But those who will not receive Jesus, whom God poured his wrath on as our propitiation, there is a wrath to come. Jesus has delivered us from that wrath. But if we reject Jesus, if we reject the atonement, if we reject the substitute, then there is a wrath to come. Jesus has saved us from that wrath if we will receive Jesus. That making sense? But without Jesus, there is a wrath to come. <clears throat> there is a hell. And everyone who is, re rejects Jesus, our propitiation will go to hell. But everyone who has received Jesus has been saved from the wrath that is to come. That's good news. That's the gospel. I'm not just talking, but, but there's also wrath. I mean, there's, I can tie all this into sickness. I can tie all this into lack. Because all sickness, lack, all this stuff is part of the curse that Jesus has redeemed us from. We're saved. Our salvation includes healing. Our salvation includes prosperity, provision. Our, because God has saved us. Jesus has saved us from the wrath. That makes sense. That's a whole other message. It's all part of the message. Because if he... Uh, if Jesus did, God did not spare his own son, how much will he not give us all things? This is all part of our inheritance. This is all part of God. Go back with me to Romans chapter 5. We were here last week. I'm not going to read the whole context again. But in Romans chapter 5, we're going to pick it up verse 9. We'll pick it up verse 8. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Amen. That's awesome. But verse 9 says, much more than having now been justified. That's that same word for righteous. Having been declared righteous by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Do you understand that last part of that verse better now? Have we gone through this? We've done talk about the wrath of God. The law revealed, brought wrath. But Christ has redeemed us from the law. He's redeemed us from the curse. He's redeemed us from the wrath of God. So not only, not only did Christ die for our sins, but much more having been justified, been declared righteous by his blood, we shall be saved. That word saved is so so. So We shall be saved from wrath through him, Jesus, our propitiation. This is love. He was our propitiation. Okay? Is it making sense here? There is a heaven, there is a hell, and there is a wrath. There's a side of God that is wrath. And I want to spend a lot of time with this, but I want to deal with this just for a moment. But this wrath of God is eternal. In other words, God does not get mad. God is eternally mad at sin. You need to get that. God does not get mad. God is eternally mad at sin. God poured out his wrath on Jesus, who became sin for us at the cross. That's love. That's love. See, God is love. So therefore, God is eternally mad at sin. 
and God truly poured out his wrath on Jesus for us as love. Everyone who calls, because that's true, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Saved from what? The wrath that is coming. We read that in 1 Thessalonians 1.10. We read about that in Romans 5.9. See, no one is perfected without Jesus. We need to know and believe his love for us that our love can be perfected. See, God does not want you to live with a sin conscience. He wants you to walk with a righteous conscience. He wants you to walk with a Jesus conscience. He wants you to walk with a love consciousness so that you can be intimate with him, so you can know him, so you can pursue him, so you can be like him to this world. That makes sense? Behold, what man in the love of the Father hath bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. And when he is revealed, we shall be like him, because we see him as he is. Jesus came to reveal God. Jesus came to reveal your Father. Jesus moved on moved with compassion on the people. He showed mercy. He showed long suffering. <clears throat> That's why they killed him. That's why the religious people killed him. This can't be God. He's too nice to people. He loves people. He forgives people. He shows mercy on people. Like the Pharisees, many think that they thought. Let me, let me read this again. Like the Pharisees, many people think like they thought. In that, even when I'm talking every day about the law this morning and last week, they think I'm talking negative about the law. No, the law is holy, the law is good. And the law needed to bring that wrath. The law needed to expose that sin. One, as I already said, because sin was killing the human race. Without the law, and one says God forced us to love them. We're going to see a little bit of this next week. God forced us, in a sense, through the law to love one another. Otherwise, we would have destroyed and devoured one another. But now that we have Jesus, when we know him, when we know our Father, we know his love, we don't love our own strength religiously. We love because he loved us. His love is enough. Does that make sense? Okay, I'll, bring, I'll touch on that a lot more next week. Um, let me just go say, say this to Let's go to Galatians 6.21. Uh, no, excuse me. Galatians 3.21. Paul says this. Is the law then against the promises of God? Certainly not. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, truly righteousness would have been, been by the law. The law's good. The law is not against the promises of God. Paul deals with this. If there had been a law by which we could be saved and declared righteous, the righteousness would have come by the law. But there's not a law. There's not a law that can make you. So righteousness had to come through our faith in His grace, our faith 
The problem is not the law. The problem is us. It's sin. I need the law. But I need Jesus. I want to know His love. I need to get to know Jesus. I need His love. Okay, how are we doing our time? And so I've done with all that are three ways how we do not know God. Through our senses, our circumstances, and the law. Now I want to switch gears. How do we know His love? The first way, and I dealt with, I listened to these five last week, but I want to deal with them a little bit this morning. And uh, it's not going to be an exhaustive study of these five things. But we know God's love by five ways. The first one is we know God's love by the Word of God. Even in the Old Testament, we see God's mercy. We see His compassion. We see, I already talked about the flood. I already talked about, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah. So, you know, some of the biggest ways that we usually see God's wrath. But we also see God's mercy there. See, you can't tell me that when God, when Adam sinned, and God waited almost 1,800 years to reveal their sin, and to judge us through the law, that God is not patient, He's not kind, He's not long suffering. It says in it says in, in, in Peter that God is not slow. Uh, let me just go over real quick. I think it's First Peter three nine, either first or second Peter. And I want to mess this verse up. Slack concerning his promise that some count slackness, but his long suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. We see that even in the Old Testament. If you look at it, if you see it, if you learn to discern it, if you learn to study the Word of God, you can see God's nature, his love, his long suffering, his compassion. But uh, the Word of God, we know God's love. See, all scripture is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training what? In righteousness. What's righteousness? The gospel reveals that. Righteousness is God making us, redeeming us by his love. You can't talk about righteousness and not talk about love. Because that is love. Righteousness is love. So many times you think I'm talking about righteousness. So many times you think I'm talking about forgiveness. But I'm really talking about love. That makes sense? How do we know all this? Everything I'm teaching, we know by the Word of God. We know God's love by the Word of God. So many times Paul, John talks about love, but he, if you read his letters, he says, I've written these things to you. It's the Word of God. That makes sense? Hopefully I'm making sense. There's so many scriptures I can bring out. But we know his... Where does faith come from? The Word of God. How does faith work? Faith works by love. We need the Word of God to teach us that God loves us. So how, how, in other words, how do we, I'm answering the question, how do we know His love? How is His love revealed to us in the Scriptures? See, so many times even in the Old Testament we can look at the, the letter of the law 
and not see the spirit of the law. We'll deal with this hopefully next week more. But the letter kills, Paul says. But the spirit gives life. Jesus says, my words I speak are spirit and they are life. We know God's word. Let me just say it this way. Jesus said, John said in John chapter 1, that I'm chopping myself up here. God is love. We have established that, right? God is love. But the word of God is also not a book. It's not the ink. The word of God is a person. His name is Jesus. God is the word. And God and God is love. You can't have, you can't know God's love without knowing his word. There's a lot of scripture I can point it out. I'm not, I don't want to rehash all that because it goes to my second point. My second point way that we know God's love is knowing the living word. Jesus. We know God's love by his word, but we know God's love by Jesus, who is the living word. That makes sense? And see, when we know, when we look at Jesus, when we study Jesus, when we look at Jesus, we, you know, we study the word of God. We're studying Jesus. And when we study Jesus and we look at Jesus and we gaze upon Jesus, we study how he acted because Jesus is an express image of the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus says. Jesus says, you search the scriptures, the word of God, but they testify of me. Jesus is the word. It's not the ink. It's a person. His name is Jesus. And when you study Jesus and when you know Jesus and when you know his word, because the Word is God. The Word is Jesus. Jesus is the Word. You can't, they're one and the same. But we don't just look at the Word. We study and we know how did He act? How did He respond? How did He not act? How did He not respond? <coughs> Jesus is a man, is manifested expression of God. And I gave you some verses a minute ago from Colossians, also Hebrews. Jesus is an expression image of God. You cannot know God's love. Outside of knowing Jesus and the word of the word. It's not just knowing it intellectually. We've talked about different kinds of knowing. We need to experience Jesus. We need to experience his word. We need to study Jesus. We need to study his word. Notice this. When you study Jesus, the living word, Jesus did not make anyone sick. Jesus didn't injure anybody. Jesus didn't cause any storms. He didn't cause any Katrina's. Jesus didn't demand tithes. Jesus revealed the Father. Jesus healed the sick. He calmed the storms. He raised the dead. That makes sense? The third one we've been doing with that all throughout the series too so far. How do we know God's love? Not only do we know through the Word and through the living Word, Jesus, we know it through the Holy Spirit. God is love. God is truth. The Holy Spirit guides us in what? All truth. See, let me just, I want to make this statement. I believe in prophecy. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I believe in speaking in tongues. We believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We teach that in this church. I think we need to do it more. I think I need to teach on it more. Okay? And we believe in that. 
But let me make this statement. I don't, I, believe, I don't believe that the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is just so we speak in tongues. I don't believe the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is just so we prophesy and offer it in the gifts. I believe in them. I believe we need to do it more. I believe I need to teach on it more. But I don't believe that's the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit. I believe the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus to me. I believe the primary purpose of the Holy Spirit as my teacher, as my God, is to unfold truth to me. That my God loves me. Because Paul writes, and we're going to look at this next week, if we can speak in tongues, we can prophesy, but if we have not love, we have nothing. We are nothing. The greatest gift is love. And we can't operate in love unless we know his love for us. Does that make sense? The Holy Spirit is always going to reveal Jesus. He's always going to reveal the truth. He's not... I love prophecy. I love the gifts. I love speaking to them. We need to do more. But the power is in the gospel. The power is in the propitiation of our sins. The power is in Jesus. Does that make sense? God, love is of God, not of me. Okay. We need to live by the Holy Spirit. We need to be led by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will always lead us to the love of God. Walk in the Spirit and you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. The, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, etc. Go with me real quick. I don't want to spend a lot of time on this. But Ephesians 4, I just want to make mention of it. And I'll pick it up, I think, in verse 30. I'm going to pick it up actually in verse 25. Let me just read a little bit of context here. My heading says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands, what is good, and what he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from all from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. I don't know about you, but I don't read that whole context. The, the underlying theme that keeps is how we treat one another. And how we treat one another when it's wrong is grieving the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will teach us how to love one another. And we can only know how to love one another if we first know God and know his love for us. That makes sense? The whole, we know God's love by our love for one another. 
The Holy Spirit's not going to teach you to do something to grieve himself. He's not going to lead you to hurt one another and despise and be malice. He's not going to he's not going to lead you to do something that grieves his own spirit himself. That that there's no truth to that. The Holy Spirit will never lead you to mistreat one another. That grieves himself. He's not going to do it. Okay? So the Holy Spirit will always teach you how to treat one another. And how do we treat one another? Because love is not of ourselves. Love is of God. He's going to teach you how God loves you. And out of that, his love has been shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. Romans 5 5. See, when we get real with God, we can get real with one another. The Word of God comes by revelation by the Holy Spirit. The fourth area. We know God's love by what? The Word of God. Jesus, the living Word. The Holy Spirit. The fourth area that we know God's love is by the cross. This is love. Not that we love him, but that he loved us and became our propitiation. Don't ever think you've heard of everything you need to hear about the cross. I want to say that again. Don't ever think you, you think you've heard everything you need to know about the cross. Never let the attitude dwell in your hearts regarding the cross. I know that. I'm not going to wear that attitude. You can never hear it too much. Whenever we get bored with the cross, something is majorly wrong. We need to keep teaching, and we need to keep seeing about the cross. I'm not ashamed of the cross. I will preach the cross. I will teach the cross. I will breathe the cross. I will chew the cross. I'll even, I'll even use the, I mean, I'm, Get hung up on the cross. Snuff it, sniff it. You know, uh, however, you get the needle in you. Whatever you got to do, get the cross in you. Get the word of God in you. The power is in the cross because this is love. The cross that He loves you. Faith works by love. You think I'm talking about so many times? Again, I said this already. But so many times we think, I'm talking about righteousness, I'm talking about forgiveness, but I'm really talking about love. Because that's the cross. You can't talk about the cross without talking about love. You can't know the love without the cross. Because that's love. The fifth area, and I dealt with this a little bit last week, that go with me to Ephesians 5. We'll pick it up verse 25. I'm going to close this morning with this thought. So we know that God's love by the Word of God, Jesus the living Word, the Holy Spirit, and the cross. But the fifth area we know God's love is by marriage. So I was like, where did that come from? I understand the Word of God, Jesus the living Word, the, the cross, and the Holy Spirit. But how, how in the world do I know God's love by marriage? Some of you might be listening and thinking, you just don't know my marriage. <laughs> How do I know God's love by marriage? 
I'm not talking about your marriage. I'm not talking about man's marriage. I'm talking about our marriage to Christ. God's marriage to the church. But read this with me. Husbands, verse 25, Ephesians 5, 25. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ also loved who? The church. And gave himself for us. This is love. That he might sanctify and cleanse her. Who's doing the sanctifying? He is. Who's doing the cleansing? He is. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. That's the word that I just talked about. That he might present her to himself a glorious church. Love is not her, in a sense, doing the work. It's him doing the work. Love is not based on the object being loved. Love is based on the nature of him who's loving. Love is not, love is not based on what we've done to earn his love. Love is God dying and loving us. It has nothing to do with us in one sense of the word. It has nothing to do with him. We are the object of his love, and our spouse should be the object of our love, husbands, okay? But he presents her to himself, a glorious church. Not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. But who does all that process? He does. This is love. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He loves his wife, loves himself. For no one hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as the Lord does the church. <coughs> I love this, verse 30. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. I want to I, I go real quick to the King James here. Well, we are members of the body. Uh, no, that's, that's fine. I guess we're fine where, where we're at. But in other words, I think another translation says this, and maybe it's back in uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, where this comes from. But we are bone of his bone and flesh of his flesh. We are one with Christ. We are members of his body. We are flesh of his flesh. Yeah. I don't know about you, but I've heard this a lot in many marriage ceremonies. Rightfully so. But I love this. And one thing that just stands out to me, verse 31. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. For this reason. Paul is using this. He's quoting from Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, I believe. But he's, he's quoting from Genesis. He's quoting from from. From the garden, he quoted from when God created man, for this reason the man shall leave his father and, and be joined to the church. See, God's not talking about marriage, he's talking about Christ and the church. For this reason, marriage is not just for you and your family to have a lovely family. Marriage is God's allegory and expression of God's love to you. I've heard it many. 
many times, and I'm not getting on anyone's case, that the first institution that God, God created, created marriage before he created his church, but that's not what I'm reading here. I'm reading the first relationship that God established as God's marriage to you before the foundation of the world. The Lamb of God was slain. That's love. And so, God's love to you and God's relationship with you, God's relationship with Adam was the very first relationship God instituted. And then came Adam and Eve. It was Adam and God. God and Adam. And then it was Adam and Eve. And then it was Adam and Eve and, and Cain. And Adam and Eve and, and uh, Abel. And then Seth. Okay? And then all of us, finally. I can, I can keep going down the list. I don't think you have that much time. Okay? But for this reason, for this reason, we shall leave his father. For this reason, we are not going. We are no longer associated with our natural parents, but we are born again as the children of God. That makes sense. No disrespect to our natural parents. I'm not disrespecting families, but church, I'm talking about. Behold, what manner the love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children. I'm talking about being established in our Father's love. We are born again because of the cross. And He is our Father. Okay? It's this reason that marriage was instituted. So that we would have this ongoing example before us. How God loves us. And we are bone of His And we can't love our natural spouse until we know his love for us. That makes sense. I'm trying to get us established in our Father's love. Because Paul's saying this is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Yes, we can apply this to our, our natural marriages. But we cannot. And we will not. Until we first understand his love for us until we know and believe his love by the word by Jesus by the Holy Spirit by the cross by marriage our love won't be perfected to love one another it will it, if when you know his love you'll be like him in your own marriage your own kids, with your own natural parents, with your own family, your friends, even the world and this your enemies. Does that make sense? We're going to conclude next week, hopefully. Uh, not my plan because I want to get on to some other things because I'm tired of this. And it's been, I've been blessed by this. Um, but I hope it's blessed you. Well, we just worship you. We magnify you. Lord, teach us afresh your love. Teach us to be established in your love. Lord, I thank you for the law in the sense that you revealed us where we're wrong. But I thank you even more so for Jesus to show us and to make us right before you. 
show us a fresh your love. So as we get to next week, we can love one another as we ought to. Yes, you've given us a commandment to love. We're going to talk about that. But Lord, we can never obey that command if, if we don't know your love for us. Because love is of you. It's not of us. We worship you. We magnify you. Bless us as we go. In your name we give you thanks. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day. Have a great week. See you in the next o'clock.